0: Hello and welcome to the Visible Man podcast. My name is Jack Rollins. I'm a producer for the show. At Visible Man, our mission is to connect men in need, create a visible network of advocates, and train key men in existing social networks to provide a foundation of support. On this episode, as part of our live talk series... Jeff sits down with Gara Lloyd Lester, the Associate Director of the Suicide Prevention Center of New York State, about the problem of men's suicide and what you can do to help. As a reminder, if you or anyone you know is in crisis right now, stop this episode and call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 or text VM to 741 741- Seven four one. That's VM two seven four one seven four one, and that'll put you in touch with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. This information is also in the show notes. And now, after a quick word from our sponsors, here's Jeff.
1: Adventurer, coach, chef, teacher audience, superhero. If you're a parent, you've done it all this past year. But the one thing you may not have done is take care of yourself. And it's nearly impossible to keep everyone else full of joy if you're feeling empty. At Boys Town, we know that a parent's mental health is important too. So when it's all too much, take a break and regroup. It's a great strategy that puts things in perspective so you can deal with challenges. The review and recalibrate method of self care helps you see what's working and what's not. Go to boystown.org slash stressed out for more great self care tips for parents. You can even download an ebook to guide you and your family through self care strategies. Because healthy parents are key to happy families. Boystown, saving children and healing families.
2: So before we start i just want to uh, introduce visible man as a place for men to establish connection with each other and with professionals Uh, we invite guests to come in and help us learn from people such as yourself uh, while making it possible to interact with the professionals and with each other and then we publish this as a podcast so if you're listening please come and join us on the server we actually invite i was telling you earlier gara that we invite women and men into the discussion now And although we do have a men-only space, we do want everybody's input to help save men's lives. So thanks for being with us here.
3: Um, I appreciate the opportunity and I appreciate the work that you do. Um, I think it's so important for any topic that we're discussing to be able to talk about things openly and directly. Um, And it starts with formats like this, right?
2: Yeah, it's um, mental health. You've been in the field for a long time. I'm not a mental health professional, but I've had experiences that brought me to want to start this discussion. And one of the motivations is that it's such an uncomfortable topic. And I'm sure you've seen that in your career, that it's, at least in my experience, it's been you're either not aware of it or you were thrust into a situation where (laughs) like all of a sudden you care a lot about it. So I'm wondering what brought you into your job now.
3: Yeah, I, I, that's a great question, and it's it's been an evolution. I've always wanted to be in a vocation where I could feel like I'm contributing to helping people uh, mm-hmm. ultimately help themselves. So I started working with developmental disabilities years ago in, a, in a completely another lifetime. Uh, started then pivoting to child welfare, and and then some broader mental health work on the county level. And there's always often been a thread of suicide prevention sort of woven throughout that career um you know i've had some of my own struggles around personal thoughts of suicide in the past i've known people that have completed suicide and had their own struggles i've got people in my own life and so it's been uh i I don't know if i found the work or the work found me or a little Mm. bit of both right
2: yeah you have a We've, we've met several times before this and you just have a good heart, a good interest in people and wanting to mm-hmm. help. And so I it, probably a bit of both. I can totally understand that.
3: And that's the beauty of what uh, I'm, I'm privileged to do is I'm, I'm not a clinician, but helping people is really just a matter of being genuine and authentic, right? Um, yeah. and, and yes, having some education and knowledge certainly helps, but being genuine and authentic can go a long way towards helping someone.
2: Yeah, it it's um being approachable um, we ha- so in the server one of the um, goals is to just get people talking about it you know mm-hmm. just to to connect guys and you know if, if you're uncertain about therapy or medication or um, mm-hmm. or even su- suicide is just such an uncomfortable topic so I guess I'm wondering you know what do we know about suicide in the us like what is the snapshot of what we know right now
3: so just with, always with a cautionary tale, anytime I talk about data and statistics and suicide, mm. I always want to remind myself and remind whoever the audience is that while it's important, we have that understanding, like what's the scope and the scale, not to get lost in data points and bar graphs, because behind those data points and bar graphs are people's lives that have been touched personally around suicide. So just, just to put that out there, but so we we know that suicide is the tenth leading cause of death across a lifespan in the United States. And so, yeah. you know, that's fairly significant um, in terms yeah. of other leading causes of death. The numbers have continued to creep up over the past few years. You know, we know certain data around certain high risk groups and, and so on and so forth. You know, there's research to take a look at are there groups that are at greater risk for either attempting suicide or dying by suicide. So we have information around that. And we also know that in countries that had higher rates of suicide in the last few years, uh, some countries in in Europe, for example, the numbers have gone down slightly. So we also know that despite the fact that the numbers have gone up in the U.S. for the past few years, we know that we can move the needle in the other direction.
2: So there's actually countries where at the same time that the suicide rates have gone up here, they've actually gone down there.
3: Slightly, yeah. Yeah. And so that's important, I think, to know is as a message of of hope of while yes, they have gone up, they can also go in the other direction, right? Um, we've got yeah. work to do, no doubt about it, but we can, you know, as a community, as a society, we can work to help reduce the burden of suicide.
1: Yeah.
2: I have not lost someone to suicide. Uh, I have known someone who has attempted and survived. Uh, actually, that's a good question. What is the term for that? A suicide attempt survivor? What I know this, it's important to that's, talk about the vernacular of it.
3: Right. Well, and that's often the, the term that's used, is a suicide attempt survivor. So if you unpack that, somebody who made an attempt on their life is still alive. And similarly, someone who was impacted by another individual that died by suicide is often referred to as a lost survivor. Um, Mm -hmm. so those are, you know, some of the terms and, and your, your right language is so important because it does have an impact, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is not about political correctness. This is not about semantics. It's about language matters. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it is important to understand and to be respectful and to honor things that might be helpful and not so helpful.
2: Yeah. So <laughs> I put myself out there and I'm willing to make an embarrassment of myself for other people's <laughs> sake so that they can learn. And one of the things that I'll share that about my experience with talking about suicide is I'm, I'm good friends with a woman at um, AFSP, American Foundation for Suicide mm-hmm. Prevention. And she lost her husband to suicide. And before she gave a talk, I asked her, and I'm even kind of cringing as I say this, but I'll cringe so other people don't have to. I, I asked, is it appropriate to ask how he did it? And she's a wonderful human. And and she basically guided me and said it really, you know, it's more about the life that he had and and asking that kind of a question isn't, isn't really appropriate. So I guess for anybody listening, <laughs> you know, learn from my lesson that it was, I felt really embarrassed. So um, could you comment on that? Even that, even like asking about it, even starting a conversation about it.
3: Yeah. So I think that if you know somebody that had a loved one that died by suicide, whether it was familial or whatever the, the relationship was, and you're not certain how to approach it, I think you do what you did. You ask, right? Sometimes people are afraid to use that person's name, you know, and, hmm. and my, my experience of having known many lost survivors is they want to hear their loved one's name, right? They don't want that person forgotten. And to the point that you made, and I've heard this from others as well is their loved one is not defined by how they died, but by how they lived, right? How they died was a moment in time and that person lived an entire life before that moment. But again, to your wondering, I think if you don't know the question ask, right. Yeah. And I think if, if we make a faux pas, we're human, it, right? It's, it's better than trying to fake it till you make it kind of a thing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Now, you had mentioned earlier that, about suicide rates. And, and again, that's a great point, that I'm a numbers person, but in my life, the person that was affected by this is not a number, you know? Um, so that being said,
0: mm-hmm.
2: what do we know about the rates for men and women, um, age sure. groups? Is there, is it? Mm-hmm. I'm sure that we have more information about that. Can you comment on that?
3: All right, so um, probably some points that might be of interest to, to listeners is we know, for example, in the United States, that women attempt suicide more often than men, but men die by suicide more often than women, which on the surface doesn't seem to make sense, right? You would think that if you're attempting more, you would die more. And what we believe we know about why that's true, what that. Disc- discrepancy is, is men tend to use more lethal means so that if a man is thinking about suicide and has a plan and follows through on that plan, it tends to be by a more lethal method, generally speaking, firearms, right? And firearms are just much less forgiving, I guess, if you will. And and there's less opportunity likely to make a medical save, right? We know that across the lifespan that the elderly population um, and men in particular are at the highest rate, right? So when we talk about rates and public health issues, we're talking about the number of individuals per 100,000. So not a percentage, but a rate. So Hmm. it's important to, because when you think about uh, from a comparison standpoint, right? if we're talking rates, it sort of helps to level the playing field. Because you might have a demographic that's a much smaller number, but by rate, it might be higher, if that makes sense.
2: It does make sense. And it, it's the rates, you mentioned that the elderly population has a higher rate. Um, of, of what, suicide. When you say, like, can you be specific about like, age groups and things like that?
3: So 75 and older is the highest rate of suicide in the U.S. We know that one of the highest rates... In a age range is middle-aged white men. And so, and that has held true for a number of years now. We also know that data is not perfect, data collection is not perfect. And classifications of suicide, although we're getting better with being consistent in that, we know that it's not we're not there yet in terms of being certain in terms of are there underreported suicides, for example, was something Mm. that was in a single car automobile accident, um, no brake marks, perfect weather conditions. Was it a suicide or was it an accident? Right. And so there's, it's always important again, to understand that from a reporting perspective, we we assume there's some underreporting. We also assume that, with different cultures and and, and uh, different understandings of, um, you know, was a note left or not, that that can all impact the total accuracy. But at the end of the day, the data that we have would suggest that middle-aged white men in particular have a higher risk for dying by suicide.
2: Again, on a personal note, putting myself out there, when I, I see a therapist, and this is several years ago, when you talk about, Under reporting of suicide, she had told me that I was passively suicidal. Which have you heard that term before?
3: I have. And to be honest with you, while I'm familiar with it, I'm not familiar enough to be able to try to articulate what that might mean as relates to something else.
2: Yeah. I I think in my case, I was putting, well, my perspective on it was that I'm putting myself in situations where something could happen, where Mm -hmm. I could die. But it wasn't an active process. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know. So you know, if it's true that the rates for middle-aged men is higher, what does suicide prevention or that con- how does that conversation look different? Like I'm sure that a flyer, uh-huh. you know, is one. But how does it look different? If, if is there targeted ways that we can help men?
3: Yeah, that, that I think is the key question for, for any group, quite honestly, but as it relates to men. So, you know, what what's different between men and women, right? Sort of globally, is it, is it the way we communicate? Is it messages that we receive when we're young for boys and girls about what does it mean to be a man growing up? What does it mean to be a woman growing up? And, you know, what do we consume through public Mass media, you know, about, again, what are some of those messages of sort of the John Wayne, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, um, that silent, stoic, it's not okay to ask for help, that's a sign of weakness. Do those messages perhaps influence or impact or get in the way of if a man is struggling, right, with something? Because we're not, none of us immune to life happening, right? Stuff's going to happen. So that's not, we're not going to be able to change that. So part of how do we encourage help seeking? I think one of the things is we send a message that it's okay to reach out for help if I'm struggling, but also that it's okay to ask you, Hey, how are you doing? I've noticed some changes. So don't just put the burden on the person who might be struggling, right? Um, It's important to empower people, but it's also important to power our friends and family and loved ones to say hey you know i've noticed gara something's changed you're 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 saying this you're doing that that's not like you what's going on and to be able to express interest not when we're at crisis points right not when we're like sort of literally or metaphorically on the edge but let's let's back it up right let's so, because think about it if you're walking down the hall with a colleague and they ask you, "Hey, Jeff, how you doing?" What's the expected answer? No,
2: fine, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah,
3: I'm doing good, right? And yeah. and chances are that person who asked you is like ten steps down the hallway if they answer because you're supposed to say, <laughs> "Good, I'm fine," right? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's yeah. sort of because if you say something other it's than okay. fine, it's like uh, right. So we need I think, yeah. it, it it is it is right. So how do we how do we give space to listen and to hear, to genuinely lean in and to hear people. Not, not that we have to fix people's problems, right? People just want to be heard. Yeah. They want to be witnessed, right?
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. One, I had a recent conversation with someone who was worried about their husband. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it in the server a little bit today, actually. What is it like when someone says to you, I think you should get help <laughs> versus like how it, how it, how it lands, you know, it's really, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to explain it, but like, if, if somebody says, I think you should get some help, it, I, mm-hmm. I, somebody even said that to me and I was really angry. So
3: yeah.
2: I wondering if you, if you could comment on broaching the topic, how how do you sure. approach someone like you're not fine? So now what?
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think you, it's the, two sides of the same coin, like what's wrong with you versus hey, I mean, <laughs> something's different. Right. Um, so I, I, I would like to believe that those questions, while maybe not helpful, come from a good place. Mm-hmm. So, right. How do we reframe it? Um, and so in, in suicide prevention, for example, the conversation might go something like, hey, like I said before, hey, Gara, you know, you used to really love going out for hikes. you used to really love going out for long drives. You always had your music on shuffle, and now all you do is you sit around. so you start by identifying why are you concerned in the first place, right so that, so that this is not the conversation is not just woof coming out of nowhere. And then in essence you know you have to find your own voice, but basically say, "I'm worried about you." is, is anything wrong? Is anything happening? Because maybe it's, you know, everybody has a bad day once in a while. Um, but if this is like an an extended or a protracted change in that person's baseline and demeanor, then something might be going on. And then, you know, that figuring out what's the next best question, like, is there anything I can do to help? Is there anyone you've talked to about this in the past What's been helpful for you to do? You know, some of those uh, prompt type questions as opposed to you need to get some help. Right. Chances <laughs> are if, if you've gotten to that point, it wouldn't be unusual that the person might not even necessarily recognize that things have gotten that bad. They're sort of got tunnel vision. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. I think to me, the other thing that's important is, again, not to wait until the crisis has hit the fan, so to speak. But let's just be genuine and authentic. So if we have that conversation, hey Jeff, how's it going? And you're like, eh, lousy. If you have, if you have a minute, say, hey, what's going on? Right. And not just to like, you know, shuffle, shuffle off. Right. So and and the other thing I think that can be helpful, and, and this is where it comes into communication styles, because we know that men and women communicate differently. Right. So if you're involved in a romantic relationship, whatever the nature of that is, is ask the person like. So, how would how would you like to be approached if if I sense there's a problem going on, right? So it really sort of puts the ball in the responsibility in that person's end zone, and not waiting until again it's crisis mode, right? So it's being sort of planful.
1: I,
2: people on the recording can't see my face, but it was so genius. I was making it like that's how would you like <laughs> to be helped? Sound it sound, it sounds so simple. But, I especially as dudes, as guys, we yeah. want to fix things, and like, here's mm-hmm. what you need. here's here's a link, here's a book. here's a but to I don't know, that's really smart <laughs> just
3: ask I, well, I, it, but i but I think you know, um it's easy to to think, well, gee, I noticed something's wrong. Let me just dive right in there. but if we if we do in this context, we're having a conversation. If we can sort of unpack it and say, okay, well, I want to be of help to my loved one, right? I want to, I want to be, I don't want to antagonize or have it the button heads or whatever. Um, so how would I want to be approached? If that's a fair question, then let's put it out there. Like, how would how would you want to be approached, right? Um, I I saw a, a posting on a listserv that I belonged to a number of years ago talking about the issue of sort of suicide prevention in, in men. And the, the anecdote was this woman had attended a conference where one of the speakers was talking about their experience with a heart attack. And it was a guy who was in good shape and he was playing golf and he started not feeling well. And friends noticed this and family members noticed this. And they were like, you got to get some help, right? You're not doing well. And, and he sort of shrugged it off. But finally, his Uh, I forget exactly, you know, somebody said, convinced him, and he was having a massive heart attack, right? And so the the person who was relaying the story said that afterwards, this guy basically wrote down a a card for his loved ones that said, if in the future you see these signs building and I'm not recognizing them, it's sort of, they framed it as a reverse get out of jail free card. You're free to give me this card that says... (sighs) Hey, Gara, remember this, you know, you're, you're starting to exhibit these symptoms and and she likened it to imagine if we did that with a mental health or concern over suicide, right? That, that I give permission to my family members and loved ones to proactively to say, Hey, Gara, you know, here's this card. Remember when we had that discussion? Um, I've noticed things are going on. Maybe it's connected to suicide. Maybe it's not, but Here's this card. So I I always found that to be really interesting, right? Um, as a as a possible way to approach the topic.
2: That again, that's a fantastic idea. It, it even just even just having this conversation with somebody about how do you want to when you're when you're in a good place. Like when I get yes. really bad, it's really hard to reach me, like emotionally. Yeah. But yeah. like to your point, if you reach somebody before they get to that, crisis. you know, when the dust is settled and you're just hanging out and there's a bit more of a lull. Um, it makes me think of safety plans. Are, are you familiar with those?
3: Yeah, absolutely. You th- I mean, safety plans are used certainly if somebody is maybe actively thinking about suicide. And that makes sense, right? How do we, what are the self-soothing things that you can do? What are the things to avoid doing? And who are you going to call if you're in distress? You know, certainly that makes sense. I've, I've heard it. Um, sort of suggested in a very existential way, wouldn't it be wonderful if everybody had a safety plan, regardless of if you were in that place, right? You you, you probably have the batteries and the the gallons of water in your basement in case the power goes out, right? We plan for that kind of stuff. You hope you never need it. But if the power goes out and the water goes down, you know it's there, right? Uh, it's Right. It's the same idea because in crisis mode, like you said, a lot of us just get that tunnel vision and we're not really able to see other options and it could be hard to reach us.
2: Yeah. Well, and at least from my experience, if somebody on the other side, if you see somebody in that situation, there's kind of a, I feel like I'm on eggshells. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know if that's a common experience, but it, I don't know what to say and I don't want to, I don't want to push too hard and push them away, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to not say anything, you know? So that safety plan could be a, good starting point for the conversation.
3: Right. And if you, I mean, if, I, if you think about it in interpersonal relationships, you know, as, as, as people, as people are getting to know each other, they might talk about what are your dreams for the future? What are, what do you think about finances? What do you think about kids? So you have those conversations in, in the hypothetical on some level. So hmm. imagine just inserting that same thing. So, gee, you know, if you ever get really stressed out in, and what would be helpful for me to do at, at the time? And again, that might be help hypothetical, but as opposed to waiting until the moment and feeling like I can't say anything or walking on eggshells, it might give that person a little more comfort to know that they can approach you, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It kind of paves the way for the conversation.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
2: Does it look different for different different for different for relationships? Um, so I'm thinking of like um, uh, two married people or Mm -hmm. uh, a a father and child, or like a a young man, even. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one of the things. I'm wondering if those conversations look different from what you've seen.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think they do. So a lot of it depends on the nature of the relationship. Is it parent and child? Is that relationship strong and solid before there might be a speed bump along the way? So all of these things, right, can, can play into it. But I think ultimately... We, almost regardless of the nature of the relationship, the conversation doesn't really change in that I'm concerned about you. This is why I'm concerned about you. Is there anything I can do to help or is there anything you can think of that might be helpful? So on some level, the, the those details don't necessarily change. Um it's that genuineness, it's that sincerity, it's that authenticity. And to your point earlier, it's that sense of like, you don't need fixing, right? You don't, right. You just, but I noticed there's something different and I, I want to help. And I think yeah. that message can really come across. Everybody's different in terms of how they hear things and how they, you know, are, are on the receiving end of the offer for help. Um, and, and you know, some people find it easier to talk to strangers, than they do somebody who's close to them because you think about, Oh my gosh, this is my son, or this is my father. Like that's, that's right. Sc- scary. Right. As opposed to, I don't know you that well, I'm a caring person. I don't, maybe I'm not as vulnerable, right. If I'm talking to this stranger or a queen. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can get wrapped up in.
2: Yeah. that, that That's a, a good point. We have found in the discussions that we've had on the VM server that, well text based communication a lot of it's just text based um okay. is you know it has its problems like just misinterpretations and stuff but a lot of the guys and i myself being well i'm pretty pretty open about who i am on there but um the anonymity is mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, <laughs> there's not a, a a deep commitment to a specific relationship and you can kind of throw it out there it's it right. it, it lands a bit different
3: mm-hmm. no the, i think That is something that probably does hold true in the virtual, non-in-person space, right? Um, It can still happen in person, for sure, but I think there is sort of a a, a nuance with virtual or text or whatever it might be um, that can allow for that risk-taking or vulnerability, if you will.
2: Yeah, yeah. on that topic of virtual stuff, the last year has sucked with the pandemic. I got, it's been so weird. It's just so different. Um, what have you seen from the mental health? Mm-hmm. What what has changed? Is it the same or what do you see that's different in the last year because of the pandemic?
3: Yeah, that's that's like the $64 million question that a lot of people rightfully so are, are curious about. Um, and, and so in a couple of different areas, one is like, the biggest question we' get is, has there been a change in suicides in New York State or nationally? And it's too early to know, quite honestly. Uh, right now, we don't we we could not say definitively one way or another if attempts or completions have gone up in New York State across any one particular age group. Um, there has been some research that's suggested that the rates of depression and anxiety have gone up in the last year. Not a big surprise, probably, right? I don't think anyone has been not impacted on some way, shape, form or another by the pandemic. And so that is true. But just because rates of anxiety and depression have gone up is, does not make it a foregone conclusion that suicides are going to go up. There's a, the potential, absolutely. We need to certainly be diligent. We need to have these conversations. We need to continue to talk openly about suicide. And I think if there's been an unintended consequence of the pandemic is it has shed even more of a light on the need to talk openly and honestly and directly about anxiety, about depression, about mental illness and mental health, right? And and those are two different things, right? Everybody has mental health just like everybody has physical health. Not everybody has mental illness and you can, you can be anxious and not have mental illness. So it's, you know, all of those things have sort of bubbled up. And so there's more conversation and more recognition that we all go through stuff. Right. And it's in, how do we help people go through stuff and and hear those stories of hope and wellness and resilience? I think one of the questions that you asked earlier about, you know, how do we address the topic of, of suicide amongst uh, the men in general. Um, and this is true across all populations, but part of it is hearing stories of I hit some speed bumps, life got hard for a while. Maybe I thought about suicide, maybe I made an attempt, whatever the circumstances are, but I got through it, right? So it's not just life was really hard, stop. It's life was really hard, and this is what helped me. Maybe it'll help you. So it's so those stories of being able to get through adversity and not that life is perfect for everyone all the time, but just to say, Hey, it can happen. Right.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was going through my own stuff and I, you know, it's, it's an ongoing situation of course with anybody, but uh, one of the, I, I didn't have mile markers for what I was going through. And so I kind of felt like I was, I felt alone yeah. um, and I, and I didn't know that the things that I was doing were good. You know, it's like, if it's like you're trying to get back into shape, but you don't have a trainer, but if you have somebody like you said, that mm-hmm. has experienced it, or there's a professional or there's a success story, they're like, yeah, when you do this thing, that's a great thing. Keep doing it. I, I found that, um, having connections, um, is, uh, is, is a great way to just kind of pull you through the experience, I think.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah and it's it's like if i can relate to you for whatever reason even if i don't know you personally but, but i'm like oh you like music i like music and then oh you had a a rough time and you're doing better now i'm having a rough time maybe i can so i mean it's it doesn't have to be all that complicated i guess you know i i have the unenviable characteristic of I can complicate a paper bag and I'm not proud of that but I can make like really simple situations more complicated than they need to be helping somebody out doesn't have to be complicated right it's it's about you know sharing experiences and that's why peer-to-peer stuff can be really helpful right whether it be two people with lived experiences as law survivors or attempt survivors or, or veterans in a peer-to-peer scenario right not that other people can't help but if you have that shared experience, Right, then you can you can relate on a level that other people might not be able to.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I've heard of this concept of shoulder to shoulder connection. Is that um where like if we're both doing like if I came to your house and said, Gara, I want to talk about this thing, it'll it might land a little bit different than if I say, Can you help me with my brakes? And then we're working on the brakes and 90% of it is literally brakes. But there's 10% of going, we're just this lull of silence going, man, I slept poorly last night. Why is that? Mm -hmm. Like, there's that. If we're both pointed towards something else, it's almost a little easier.
3: Uh, Absolutely. No. And and that's, uh, um, I've not heard that particular name for it, the shoulder to shoulder, but the concept is absolutely true. If I come over to your house and say, hey, Jeff, I want to talk about your mental health today versus let's work on the brakes or, you know, hey, you know, let's go shoot some hoops or whatever it might be. That becomes the potential for a vehicle to ha- to, to for the conversation to happen, um, and um, sometimes that's all people need, right? Is just to to have that avenue to talk about. I had a really lousy friggin' day today, um, and and for that other person to say, oh wow, that that sucks. Hey, you know, pass me the ball or whatever, you know. And it, yeah. um, and I think if we had more of that and 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 that it was safe and okay to do that um then that's sort of that upstream kind of stuff that's that's again having those conversations before things get really tough imagine if you don't have the ability to share that with someone right that that sense of loneliness and isolation that can be really hard
2: yeah I, safety is a good point because um when i um when someone makes it safe for me to just be as I am and doesn't try to fix it and say, here's what you need to do. Here's, you know, I got called, you know, just do this thing. It, it, it kind of shuts me down. So that feeling of just like, man, that sucks. Like, I feel you, man. And Mm -hmm. that's so helpful. It's so helpful just to have somebody accept your feelings.
3: And it sounds so simple and the good news is it is right. And that's why we absolutely need trained professionals who can help somebody with certain aspects of challenges that they're they're, they're going through. Right. But if all we do is rely on those trained professionals, I think we're going to be in for some disappointment, right? We need, we need community. We need society. We need everyone and anyone to feel like I can, I can help support you. Right. I don't have to fix you. Um, I don't need to be your therapist. I can just be there for you. And I think people, will genuinely recognize that just to sit with someone um, and give them the space to be can be so powerful.
2: So I want to transition to some questions that uh, the guys and the gals in the server have been raising as we've been talking. Sure. So um, I've heard before that uh, everyone who has survived suicide wishes they had never tried it. Can you clarify the thought behind that?
3: There is research that has looked at attempt survivors, right? Um, and many of them, I don't know the exact statistics, but many of them have regretted that they made that attempt, right? Um, there's always exceptions to the rules, too. I have heard of stories where somebody was actively saved before. They died and were angry that somebody saved them. Now, did that anger last? Don't know, right? So I think many people that have shared their stories have expressed almost immediate regret, right? Um, But is that absolute 100%? I I would be surprised if that were the case. But I think most people realize, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? (laughs) Whatever was going on was not that bad.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. next the question. Um, can you talk about how we can support the families of suicide victims and, and maybe for those who have survived the attack, how can we support them?
3: So sort of two different groups there. One, those lost survivors. Uh, so there are some formal resources. You mentioned one of them, the American foundation for suicide prevention, Offers a number of supports geared specifically for loss survivors, and they are they are trained loss survivors themselves. So they're people with that lived experience, right? They can sit down and be with that person, um, not to counsel, right, but just to sort of have a, a healing conversation, right? You experienced this loss, I experienced this loss, um, so there can be that kind of support for loss survivors. Um, You know, there's some research that indicates that the sooner a lost survivor gets help and support, the easier their trajectory of healing is going to be, right? It's not, they're not ever going to get over it. That's not the point or the goal, but their, their healing journey might go a little bit smoother, the sooner they connect to some sort of resource, right? So that's sort of generally speaking for lost survivors, Um, For attempt survivors, again, their journey is going to look different. Many people are going to need some sort of formal support, probably, right? Whether it be mental health or counselor or peer-to-peer, maybe a combination of things. Um, I think for family members and loved ones that have someone who made an attempt, that's an area that we continue to need to really do some work on. Like if I have a loved one in my family that made an attempt and they're alive, am I going to feel like I'm constantly walking on eggshells? Am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to do the wrong thing? Um, the National Alliance for Mentally Ill has support groups for family members of loved ones that have been struggling. So there are like peer-to-peer type support groups. I think ultimately the message for any of those groups is you don't have to, to experience what you're experiencing alone, Right there are resources available. That may not always be immediately accessible, but help is there.
2: That's a great point. And it actually dovetails into our next question, which relates pretty closely to what you were just saying about that. So someone asks, I'm close to someone who cuts themselves and has threatened to attempt suicide on multiple occasions. Um, They have a couple questions, but how do I separate serious threats from attention seeking behavior? Mm And this sounds bad, but the constant threats have affected my own mental health, too. Can you comment on that?
3: Yeah, so I'm going to start with the second, I guess, the comment is Mm -hmm. um, we're not immune to the actions of others, right? And if we're in a close personal relationship with someone and that person in this instance is self-harming and threatening to, to complete suicide, we, you know, I don't care. What skills we have, we can't be not impacted by that. And that can take its toll on us. So in that situation for anyone, it's important that we know who are our resources. Where do we rejuvenate? What do we do to take care of ourselves so that we can be there for others, right? Whatever analogy you want to use, when the oxygen mask comes down on a plane, put yours on first before helping somebody else, whatever, you know, however you think about it, you can't be there for that person you care about if you're not getting what you need to recharge your batteries. As to the first part of the question, um, we teach sort of generally speaking that to always take any talk, any communication about suicide seriously, right? And that's sort of the baseline. Maybe the person doesn't really want to follow through with those actions, but for some people, the most sophisticated way they know to ask for help is to say, well, if if you don't do this, I'm going to kill myself or, oh, my God, I'm going to, you know, and and it it might come across as attention seeking. Um, But if that's true, then let's think about it for a second. That person's attention seeking, they are seeking attention. So we need to figure out a way to, A maybe give them some attention, but then B, also figure out what's going on that they feel like they need to communicate this way. That That's a really complicated and a very common question. But I think if there's one takeaway, it's don't put yourself in a position to be the sole arbiter of, is this person really thinking about suicide or not? Or, oh, that's just that's just Johnny, they're always saying that. I don't need to really follow up on it. Get other people involved, right? And maybe in some instances, if it's really weighing on you, you might need to, and this can be hard, you might need to set some limits or some boundaries and say, I can't, I don't know if I can help you anymore, right? And those can be hard conversations, but um, so yeah, that's that's a an important question and I would really encourage anyone who's in that or a similar situation is to make sure you know who you're resources are. Don't be in this alone, right?
2: That's a great point. It it definitely can um, exhaust your own resources, so I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, so, Gera, I think that's uh, all the time we have. I, I really thank you for joining us. I'd love to have you back, uh, have a continuing dialogue about this. Um, and for anybody listening, um, I'd, I'd welcome you to join us on the Discord server, where we have daily moderated discussions. On men's mental health issues, you can find a link in our Instagram bio, and uh, we have daily discussions with uh, men and women are now welcome into a a part of the server uh, to really get this dialogue going. To have everybody um, that we can have weigh in on how to help men through this issue. So you can listen here, or you can join us there. Um, But we'd love to have you join us, help men become seen. So thank you, Gara. Thanks for your time.
3: If I could just mention one more thing, just sort of, I think it's really important to let people know of resources that are always available. Um, So if you're concerned about yourself or somebody else, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Or for those who are more inclined to use text in New York State, if you text the keyword GOT, the number 5, to 741-741, you'll get trained individuals who can help with any, you know, sort of crisis-related problem.
2: That is wonderful. Thank you for putting that out, Gara. All right. Thanks, Gara. Thanks for your time.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Visible Man podcast. Once again, as a reminder, if you or anyone you know is currently in crisis, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK. That's 800-273-8255. You can also text VM2741-741. That information is also in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. That helps other people find the show. Keep up to date with all the things going on with Visible Man by visiting us at visibleman.org. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at visibleman underscore org. on Facebook as well. As Jeff mentioned in this episode, the Visible Man Discord server is now open to anyone of any gender, as long as you're over the age of 18. You can get an invite from any of the links that we've mentioned, or check the show notes. For the Visible Man podcast, this is Jack Rollins, thanking you for listening and reminding you that there's strength in vulnerability. Cheers.